The views and opinions expressed as part of this podcast in no way represent those held by American Football Ireland. As always, guys, this podcast is just a bit of crack, so please, no giving out. Hi, everybody. It's Rob from the Domestic Game Podcast. You're usually used to hearing Kelly in the slot, but here I am instead today. We just want to remind you about our Buy Me A Coffee campaign. You can buy us a coffee to keep us going throughout this show. All of the links are available in our social media networks or just get in contact directly with a member of the cast. Hey guys, one more public announcement before we get into the show today, which is that we were recently nominated for the Best Marketing Award with the Irish Podcast Awards. We're obviously delighted and this uh, award is going to be by judges vote but you can still vote for us in the public's favorite category so if you would like to vote for us you can do so at the irish podcast awards.ie we'd really appreciate it and sure look at you never know we'll keep the fingers crossed hello and welcome to the domestic game podcast where we bring you the insights and stories of all things american football here in ireland we're your hosts Kelly Dwyer. And I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. There we go. So Kelly, you're back in the hot seat. You decided that, you know, there was enough talk between me and Joe and that you weren't going to let the boys run the episodes anymore again together. So welcome back. Hope you had a good time running around Malaysia. I did. I had a great time running around Malaysia, so I did. You did a fantastic episode, I have to say, and it's not that I was doubting you, it's just that when I heard it, I was certainly relieved. It's nice to just, you know, like, surpass expectations. Yeah, well, that was it. Expectations fully surpassed. I thought all our guests did a fantastic job as well. Laughed a few times, cried a few times. We got all the inside happy times. That's good to hear. Good to hear you enjoyed it, and good to hear you enjoyed your trip. But... The fun doesn't stop after that episode because in tonight's episode, we've got two more incredible guests. We do indeed. So to help us with our bowl preview, I mean, finally, we're at the Shamrock Bowl. As Joe said in the last episode, we've been waiting so long to get to this. We naturally are going to recruit in for this. We are not qualified, by the way, to be discussing bowl candidates here. Like this needs to be Nor have we ever said that we are. <laughs> we need the experts and thank the experts have agreed to be with us so thank you so much coach k kevin clatt from the south dublin panthers and coach alan lum from cork alan did i do that right did i get that right yeah lum yeah that's close enough yeah good 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 so very welcome to the podcast guys first off please introduce yourselves so we'll start maybe in alphabetical order with second names so coach k Please uh, let us know about yourself and your history in football. Okay, Kevin Clatt here. I'm from the States, born and raised in Iowa, played high school football there, your college, moved to Ireland in 1981, hooked up with the Dublin Celts in 1987, played one season, them, had a great year, was out of the game then until I got a message from the Wexford Eagles in late 2015 that they were starting a team. They asked me to get on with them. I was their head coach from 2016 to 2019. COVID happened, changes were made, and I got in touch with the South Dublin Panthers. Uh, the Eagles decided to make a change in coaching, and they were good enough to bring me on board. And the next about that, folks, there was a bit of a change there at the beginning of the season. Coach Mack decided to walk away. 
I was asked if I'd take over the head coaching roles. I had a great season. I had an awful lot of help. I, I considered to be coached by committee this year, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention the the other coaches on that team, Brendan McAleese, Pat Noonan, Walter, Craig Morrell, almost Graham Jenkinson took over the O-line duties. It was just a, a fantastic crew of coaches. And we managed to get to the playoffs, uh, got to the semifinal stage, and now here I am talking as <laughs> one of the coaches that did get to the final, <laughs> in spite of our best efforts. That, that I mean, that's football. And it's one of those things that making Premier League playoffs is always an achievement, no matter what way you look at it. I know that you've recently retired from coaching the Panthers and, you know, from for us from the outside. We just want to say, you know, why? Like, why? For me, I think it's such a huge achievement for the Panthers to have made the playoffs this year, particularly given losing your original head coach at the start of a season is always going to impact negatively. Like, I don't really feel that anyone looks at that and goes, oh, this is great for our season. You know what I mean? It's always going to come with a lot of natural challenges. So to still make the playoffs is such a big thing. And for us on, on the outside, it definitely feels like you're only getting started, but that's obviously not how you're feeling at this point. And why does right now feel like the right time to come away from it? Well, I've been doing it for six years with the exception of COVID, and I have enjoyed it so, so much. I really have. But the commitment is huge. And for example, this last 18 months driving up and down to Dublin twice a week, it's a big commitment. It's expensive. And it just felt to me like the Panthers need somebody maybe younger, possibly stronger. I'm not sure that I was as strong as I needed to be with the team. And I think that there are people there who can, I have no worries about the Panthers coming up with a very, very good head coach in the future. I have my own ideas about who that should be. Um, I'll keep those to myself. But it just felt like the right time. My poor wife has put up with me eating, sleeping, drinking football for six years now we'd be on a plane someplace and i would say have you got a pen and a piece of paper you're drawing up another play aren't you and I, yeah my, <laughs> that's what i would do i would wake up at four in the morning with an idea for play and i would get up turn the lights and and, and jot it down because inventing plays is what i love to do and uh, i think it's a fun part of the game and it also meant every sunday's been gone midweek's gone i also i've obviously my whole family's with the exception of uh, my daughter and three grandkids here, they're all in the States. And I would like to be able to go over and spend the summers there as opposed to I go over in the autumn now for a few weeks, but I miss the summers in the States. And obviously with American football being played in the summer season here, it wasn't possible for me to get over there. So just taking everything into consideration, it seemed like, and it wasn't a decision I made immediately after the, the semifinal. It was a decision I made a couple of months ago that I didn't share with the team. I just thought to myself that when this season is over, which wherever it ends, that's, that's when I'm walking away. That's what I did. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things as well, that it's always easier to come away from something when you know it's in good hands and you know, it's going to continue to grow. You know, you've kind of watered the roots there and that you're going to see good things. So that always helps with that. So thank you for giving us that bit of insight, which, you know, you could have said was a very private reason and appreciate that you kind of let us know about it and then uh right i need to move on to alan here as well you know alan please also introduce yourself for everyone that's listening hi guys uh alan lamastney i'm the head coach of the cork admirals uh got involved with the admirals actually 20 years ago this year 2002 um 
was head coach uh, for the first time back in 2007. We went to the Shamrock Bowl in the first year. Unfortunately, lost that one in 20 late late 2015. The uh, team asked me to come back for my third stint because they were had the team had folded and they were in Division One at the time, and they wanted to make the step up to the next level. So um, we came back for the 2016 season. Uh, we won an undefeated and won the IFL One Bowl, then came up to the uh, SBC at the time, got to the playoffs in our first year back there, won the Shamrock Bowl in our second year, uh, got to the semi-final in basically the last couple of years. So, as Kevin said, it's a big commitment uh, to be involved as, as head coach, as any coach, but specifically, I think, as head coach. But uh, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, we have a great bunch of lads down there, a great bunch of coaches, Coach Brendan Keller, Coach Keto Callan there, especially... Connor Linehan and, and Dominic McHale. Uh, we've we've some we've a great bunch of coaches that that make my job a bit easier. But um, yeah, so look, that's kind of my general history over the last while with the head coaching. Oh, and from my sins, I'm also the head coach of the U team. So we're the current uh, three-time national champions in that as well. So we're looking for a fourth now this year, which we started back two weeks ago with them. So I finished the senior season uh, while the youth season overlaps slightly into that. So now we're now we're going to fall into the youth season, no clocked over, and then we'll go back into the senior season again. Yeah, yeah, it's just always so it's a way. 12 It's a 12-month 12, a 12 gig notice stage. It is, you know, and it's yeah. funny because I'm listening to you talk about the commitment and you laying it out, I'm going, oh, my God, like, I think I'm committed. I've got a few different roles and AFI and Rob was director of flag football for a long time and, Jesus, you couldn't you couldn't get him, like, do you know, because he's also coaching and playing and all the rest, you know, and then I hear you talk about like head coach and what it entails and I just go oh maybe we're <laughs> maybe we have kind of an easy gig here like you know a lot more than showing up for game days and practices I don't I'm sure Alan will agree you don't really ever get a day off or a day away you've got to have the players backs on and off the pitch and when they know that you do they obviously will will call on you when they need you and that's I wouldn't have it any other way but like that it's it's a drain at times and it's I don't know Alan's a lot younger than I am, but uh, I think it's a young man's game. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. What do you I, think I think it's, it's yeah. like having a second family, really. You know, you've oh. got your own family at home, and then you, your team is your second family or your, you know, kids and whatever. Like, I mean, because a lot of the guys, um, as Kevin said, you do have their backs off the field as well as on the field. So sometimes you get involved with stuff that has nothing to do with football, but guys turn to you for, for guidance or help or assistance, and you just, do your best to try and help them out of that situation or, or get them yeah. back on track or whatever the case may be and, and you know and how, and, how has and, that been let's say in this most recent year you know how has it been working with a team of you know of men coming out of something like COVID and coming out of you know the two-year break from football more so kind of the, the bigger wider thing of COVID and all the challenges that it has well I don't know how Alan felt about it as a coach, you're always, you know, the biggest thing you've got to deal with is in a squad usually is injuries. Occasionally there'll be work commitments or holiday commitments or whatever. But this year it was almost like a human resources gig because it was, you'd have guys naturally injured, but then you've got guys phoning you saying, okay, I'm testing positive for COVID today. I don't know if I'm going to be available for next weekend's game or whatever. And, the, you know, you have to say, don't come. And there were occasions when guys phoned and said, look, I'm going to try and be there. And I said, don't do it. You'll destroy yourself. And 
because COVID wasn't a thing where you could just shake it off. And I saw guys try to come back before they should, and they'd be out for 10 minutes and nearly collapse just in a, in a warm-up session. And it, just for the player's own good, you had to say, stand down. And that's a whole new thing. You know, you get players trying to come back from injury too soon. It's very easy to say, no, sorry, you've got to get clear, all clear from the physio. Or you, you know, I want to see a doctor's note, something like that. But guys trying to come back from COVID, but I'm testing negative now. Yeah, but you're not ready. It's a whole different dynamic to the season. Yeah, yeah. And it kind of pushes you into like that mentor role, that kind of almost parental role when you deal with these types of challenges. Yeah, I think it does. You find that it's not just all football related. There's a lot of mental health issues have come to light after COVID. People who were at practice every week, twice a week, three times a week, depending, suddenly they were locked away for weeks and at a time or months at a time, depending, you know, depending on what part it was. And lots of people who the team was their circle of friends as well as a team. And lots of people reacted in different ways to not having that. Uh, I spoke to a few of my players there. You know, I tried to keep in touch with them all over calls during the, the first bout of COVID. And um, there was lots of guys saying, I'm finding it very difficult to, to handle just being at home and not being able to go out. But going back to what Kevin said about, about guys coming back from COVID, I, I actually got COVID early when it came out first. I said I'd scout it in case we met in the playoffs or anything. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah, that did go well. <laughs> um, yeah, I got a very, very bad dose of it. So I know exactly what it can do. And I spent a lot of this year trying to tell fellas that just because you're negative after a week doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be in any fit condition to do anything remotely close to football. That's for, exactly. For another couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Then you have the whole, the mental health, as I said, you know, that side of it, you're trying to deal with guys like that. And then there was the logistics of running practices while COVID restrictions were still there, in whether they were in, like what we had with the youths was, we had them in pods. So like, at the, you could only have pods of 15. We ran in one youth training session one Sunday morning. We had four different practices going wow. because we had 38 players with six coaches. You had to separate them all and they couldn't mix. But there's the logistics of that, of sanitizing all the stuff, of getting everything ready for the next door. COVID has been huge, not just in losing players or, you know, losing years of football games, but just in what the toll it has taken for teams financially and everything else as well. You know. Yeah, and I think that there'd be a lot of people listening to, to this podcast that will identify with a lot of that. Like, you know, they, they've lived through it and they've. it's not something we usually discuss on the podcast in too much detail but I do think it's lovely to have just taken this moment to talk about mental health particularly in a male dominated sport where we're so competitive and where we love playing against each other and like going to the bowl and all of this like and wanting to win and it's dog eat dog when you're out there on the pitch but actually at the end of the day a very small community like and it's lovely to kind of have that you know the families within clubs but then also like the wider family as well where at the end of the day like we all need to be looking out for each other and we all need to be like aware of the challenges that people face and I love this thing of the head coaches saying to players like no like you don't come back until you're good to go like that level of care that's there you know you're seeing the person you're not just seeing a player that needs to do a job on a pitch and I think that that's so so important. Yeah, going back to, you know, it being the family, I mean, like you wouldn't put any of your family in a situation where they could be hurt 
or yeah. to put in danger. Do you know what I mean? So it's the same. It's the difference between telling a fellow, no, look, you need to take an extra week before you can play this game because you're not ready, whether you think you are or not, or even the likes of of giving a guy a new helmet because even though he doesn't think there's anything wrong with the helmet, that you reckon that you would be yeah. better off with a newer equipment. Small things like that. We're not paid to do this. The players aren't paid to do this. Everyone has to get up and go to work, school, college, whatever the case may be, after games. And it is our responsibility as head coaches to look after their welfare, whether it is physically or mentally. As you said, you're not just putting them out there to do a job. You're looking after them start to finish. Love that. Absolutely love that. Yeah. But anyway, we better do what we're here back to, to do. The, you back know. to the actual football talk now. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's the thing. Yes. I know it was great, it is great hearing so much around around everything else, like with the clubs. And just like what you was touched on and sort of everything that's like went into nearly getting you back through the past two years and even how that you've dealing with not just players, you're dealing with the people and like what goes on in their lives. Something to be you just need to be given credit for is actually you're dealing with a person at the end of the day and what all they've gone through over the past two years and how many players did struggle with not being able to get out and I think it is for, for men especially who, like I know myself, you know many of them can't really talk about their mental health or their well-being and that sports and just being around with the other lads throwing a ball is so important for everyone. So like the fact that we've got back now to a stage where things are relatively normal compared to what they've been, it is great. And I think that just leads us straight back into the, the whole years of action that we've had from two extremely competitive teams being the Admirals and the Panthers and how they've performed throughout the season. I know both of you had kind of the opposite starts to the year. The Admirals going 0-2. I know on this show, we ourselves possibly didn't win too many fans down in Cork while we were maybe riding the Panthers bandwagon a little too early. How those things progressed and how that changed throughout the year and then for you to both make it to the playoffs and then to come up against like two teams who have been sort of powerhouses this year in AFI and how you feel your two games have went against them. So those two playoff games, relatively similar scorelines, just both faced. Going into those games, how did you feel that lineup against UC or lineup against the Rebels? What did you feel like your chances were to get over that final hurdle? And how optimistic were you that you could have made it to the Shamrock Bowl finals? We had just played the Rebels two weeks before the semi-final, and they had beaten us comprehensively, 48 to 13. And I'm one of those guys that hates to lose. And I have never, ever been as upbeat after a loss as I was after that last regular season game. A lot of reasons behind that. We were... Our offensive line, we only had one guy starting in his usual spot. There were people away. There were people injured. And it was just, and the Rebels hammered us in that game. And the scoreline was not an illusion. But I came away from that game incredibly confident that if we executed the way I know we can, that we would stay with them in the semifinal. And the fact is, we just didn't. We just didn't execute. We had a game plan that I think would have worked, but we didn't execute. And we can only blame ourselves for that. And the Rebels did execute. They brought the energy, they brought the desire, and they executed their plays and their game plan. And so I have no complaints about what happened in that game. 
Yeah, I think that that's a really big thing to be able to say because, you know, whenever you see a big scoreline like that, and, and particularly in playoffs, I know what you're saying, but I almost disagree with you. I always think that the score doesn't always reflect what goes on. Like uh, the Rebels, I think, are fantastic. I'm a big fan of the Panthers always. Like, And I, and I do think that the Rebels, you know, obviously were the best team. You can't take that away from them at all at all. But I also don't think that the Panthers, that the scoreline reflects actually how good the Panthers really are. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think that it's very, it's like extreme ownership. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase before. It's when you take ownership for everything that happens, even the worst, you know, even the worst that has happened, you take complete ownership and you say, yeah, that's ours. You know what I mean? Because by doing that, you allow yourself to actually change the narrative going forward. Or if you're in the same situation again, you can change something going forward. So I think that's really what you're doing. You know what I mean? Is you're taking a lot of ownership there and, you know, probably being a bit hard on yourself coming out of that game saying that you just didn't execute like you know but that does give you a lot to be able to move forward with that that type of view that type of ownership is really really important and I kind of am expecting definitely big things from the Panthers like going forward particularly with all of the other stuff they're doing youth and and so on but moving on to you then Alan you know again a similar scoreline and obviously I'm really sticking by this like that the scoreline did not reflect the game that happened in UCD that day so do you want to talk about the game how you prepared for it and then you know how you felt it went and just how it is to not be playing in this bowl which I'm sure is incredibly difficult yeah Rob. just going yeah. to interject first how we were all saw from the first game that you've had in the regular season against UCD like ending up in a draw it being so tight and everyone just like was constantly talk 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 after that game one thing that we were, were informed about later on is that Aaron Mooney wasn't actually the UCD quarterback on the day. Do you think that maybe that gap in sort of QB1, QB2, we've seen it in a few other games at lower levels that having the number one quarterback not in position detracts from sort of the overall team performance. Do you feel that him possibly not being there on day one maybe had the sort of advantage that to, to give yourselves? And that him being back then for the, the actual playoffs, you know, was kind of a, a bit of a driving force behind them getting to where they were. That was yeah. day two, though. That was yeah. That, that was, that was, that was our second game against them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To be answering a question, no, because to be very honest with you, we had prepared for Aaron Mooney. We found out in the morning of the game that Tom was playing quarterback. Tom is better runner of the ball, so now you've got a completely different. Uh, yeah, approach to that yeah, yeah. So I know I that wasn't really a big deal as such for us. I mean, look, we game plan for who we expect to see, but obviously you never know in our league who you're going to get. The game in Cork, I think we'd been trying a lot of different things through the year with the offense, and we were starting to fine tune a few bits and pieces. Uh, we had a lot of rookies playing on offense this year, especially the receiver position. But going into the semi final. Two of those starting receivers were out for the UCD game in the semi-final. Our starting tailback was out for the UCD game. And Steve, our quarterback, was a game-time decision whether he'd play at all. Yeah, so, yeah it's going to be very you know, difficult. We had our backup quarterback had taken the reps for the two weeks between the last regular season game and the semi-final. So it was just one of those things where we knew we were short-handed. We still felt we were more than capable of, of staying in that game. And like... We scored first. It was 8-6 with 40 seconds to go in the first half. Yeah. Uh, and then we were introduced to Brandon Atwell, who oh, 
I don't know if anybody if you know who Brandon Atwell is. I I do know who Brandon is. So he was yeah. playing with Trinity and because yeah. I know the name because I've seen yeah. it. And he had come over from college. He's played over in college in the States. Um he won college. Right. Yeah. So our first introduction to Brandon was in the second quarter, I think it was the second quarter on Sunday. He had transferred from Trinity. Yeah. And um, the first time we had seen him all year was in uh, the semi-final. So the, the, he was the guy that actually broke a big run just before halftime to go to create the score to go up 16-6. And um, he was a game changer. I, I mean, uh, you bring any guy in that has played D1 ball uh, into our league and he's going to be a game changer. Uh, I think the fact that we didn't know he was going to be there, nor had we seen any tape of him, because obviously we don't go looking at tape for teams in different divisions. That was huge. He played both ways. You, you're looking at UCD are very good, obviously, in the first place. Mm. Then you add that into it and a uh, big chunk of that game and changed it. And in the second half, it was one of those. And, and I've said it, I said it to a couple of lads afterwards. It went from 16-6 to something like 38-6 in, in, you know, one of those. How did that? Or when did that happen? Kind of a game, do you know what I mean? They just knocked, they got in three scores, I think, in quick succession there. And um, the game got out of hand very fast. But it's one of those things. Again, we didn't execute properly in the second half. We didn't play to, I suppose, the standard that we would have liked. Not not saying the lads didn't give it out there all. They certainly did. But we, we just didn't, on both sides of the ball, we didn't, we weren't where we had been. And, um, I think to set it fair juice to them, they turned the screws fast when they got the opportunity, the same as as any team will when they're in control. But certainly, I think think that the that lad was a game changer on the day. That, uh, I mean, it certainly sounds like he was all right. You know, yeah, like you said, if you have any player like that, it's gonna, it's gonna. Do you know what? Right, I'm thrown, I'm mid thrown by that now because I, I think to- there's the word of the law and the spirit of the law, if you know what I mean. Look, what it, it is what it is. They won the game. They're in the ball. I, I don't deny them that. They're a very, very good team. I just think that it could have been handled a lot differently, in my opinion. You have Kelly absolutely shock here right now. <laughs> shock, like, right? That's, um, why, that's why you get us on for all the, the gory details, isn't it? The guy, yeah, this is it. Move we on. Have to be able to... Move on. So you're talking there of the likes of Atley and the likes of Tom Donovan, who were like two big players and sort of leading the team to victory. If you were to go back in time, having seen what you saw on the day, do you feel that there was enough lessons learned that you'd be like, right, this is one thing that we need to focus in on. We'll go for two things. We'll go for one on offense and one on defense. What would you change to shut down both teams' defenses? And what would you change to exploit their defense? So what would you change to stop their offense and exploit their defense? Well, for the Rebels, and I have to, and I'm not casting disrespect on anybody, but heaping praise on one guy in particular, and that's Ty Henry. Yeah. He is in a league of his own. And as he goes, so goes the Rebels. If you could take him out of the game, I think most of the teams in the SBC could stick with them. He just takes over a game. He can run almost as well as he can throw, and he throws really, really well. He also has a core of young receivers making one-handed catches at the back of the end zone into double coverage 
Ty Henry doesn't care. If he sees one of his guys out there, he's going to put it where only they can reach it. It's either them or nobody. And he does that extremely well. As regards exploiting their defense, they like to blitz. They like to stunt a lot. We had plans on how to deal with that. And again, I talked about execution. We we missed, and again, our, our quarterback was under outrageous pressure for the whole day. But there were a couple of things where, for example, we would line up trips to one side and then leak the back out after clearing out that zone, just trying to dump the ball off to that back. And it was there and we just missed it. We just yeah. missed it. There are things we could have done that we just didn't do. And it's as simple as that. And plays that I would have liked to call that didn't get called. Just it was what it was. But Ty Henry's the guy you'd have to focus on to shut down the Rebels. There's that It begins and ends right there. I agree with you, actually. And not just like the fact that he knows how to run an offense incredibly well and he's dynamic. You know what I mean? He's a very dynamic player. He's, he almost doesn't favor one thing over the other because, you know, at first it was looking like, oh, he really favors that kind of deep ball over to Greg Johnson. The next thing you see the likes of Dave King exploding and you just don't know where Dave King's going to be lined up on the pitch because sometimes he's nearly as a running back and the next he's over as a slot up on the line. And uh, Ty Henry describes it himself. I listened to a podcast that he did. He describes his very simple system. Like, I think it's simple when you know what it is. Like, you know what I mean? From the outside, I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, he has created so many options for himself in that offense but also aside from that he is an incredible leader for that team and I think that you see that with the youth that's on that team that's coming up and his commitment to developing the youth because that's something that I've expressed and I kind of stand by this point that this is a young Rebels team coming into the biggest game of the season and things go wrong in big games things always go wrong and how are they going to keep that together how are they going to hold it and the only thing that I can, you know, I can remember was way back when we had no contact football and we had youth and we had the flag and we kind of got a small bit of an insight to their sideline because myself and Rob were kind of working those days where the young players had started to kind of lose their cool a little bit. And Ty Henry was just talking to them and real calm, but with a type of care and assertion saying, you know, you know, this guy said, oh, but this was all the way open. This was whatever, you know, this was this. And I, you know, I could have, and Ty was going, yeah, but you know, that wasn't your route. Don't be a knucklehead. You know, you need to trust the playbook. You need to whatever. I could see this young player buy back into what they were doing, buy back into the bigger picture of what was going on, like reaffirm the belief in what they were doing. Very gentle, but assertive way Ty Henry did that. And it was just two minutes that I was very privileged to kind of witness and I could just in that moment I kind of was like okay I get it you know what I mean I get what's kind of going on there I see why these young players are really bought in and as much as I feel like things are going to go wrong on the day for them and things are going to go right for them I do think that they have a fantastic leader there that can keep things together keep things on track if one player starts to lose the head I, I think he has that where he can bring them back in he's been in this situation of course before but he's been in big games he's been on international stages or whatever and I think that he has that like he really kind of has that team very well gelled so not only is has he that fantastic offensive mind but he also is a very empathetic type of person that kind of gets how to bring people together so I really do agree with you that I think he's the key to that offense at the minute and uh, if you have a defensive playbook it's probably just Ty Henry you know what I mean it's like stop him from, from our perspective it seems that way then the same question to you then that that Rob had I think if you were talking about stopping their offense, 
I think the key to UCD's game really is they've got such a fantastic offensive line that they can work the run game off of that. I think if you can disrupt that all line and try and get pressure on the quarterback, I think you have a, a better chance. And we didn't generate enough pressure, I think, which was one thing. But I think if you're going to give any quarterback time to, to throw the ball, it's not good. But, you know, Aaron Mooney is a very good quarterback. If you're going to give him plenty of time to throw, then you've got such good receivers then as well. You've got Todd Donovan, you've got Kane Lawler, Sean Douglas, all of those. They're going to find spots for you. And then the, from the defensive point of view, they generate an awful lot of pressure on the D-line. I think if you can beat that pressure, I think you can score off the top, uh, which is what we did a lot in Cork in the, in the last regular season game. I think if I did one other thing I would do to, to have beaten their defense, was to have my actual full team there. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. Of <laughs> do course. way with injuries. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know, completely get you. That obviously, like a full health uh, Cork Admirals team is a very, very different beast yeah. than like. And so, with the strengths and the weaknesses in mind of these teams, how do you both see them matching up now in a bowl? Because if you're saying something like, let's say, you know, with UCD, you want to disrupt their O line, I mean, the Rebels have that, let's say. Do you know what I mean? They have some, or if you want to put pressure on Aaron Mooney, you have like Kenny McCarthy immediately comes to mind. He's just such a fantastic pass rusher, like, and he's. You know, we had Andy on recently saying he's he's so impactful. And it was strange because Andy had said that way better than I could. You know, I had a little like, Kenny is really, really good at hitting the quarterback. Like, do you know what I mean? And then vice versa as well. You know, with UCD, you have the likes of Larry Doyle, who's just a fantastic pass rusher as well. Like, do you know, so with things like the strengths and the weaknesses of, of these two teams, how do you see this matchup going, this bowl day matchup going? What's interesting is that the Rebels have a lot more interceptions than UCD, and UCD have a lot more sacks than the Rebels, which yeah. then would kind of have contradicting what you're saying. So, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah, but yeah, of course. I think yeah. If I was the Rebels, I would try and get them to throw more. Okay. And generate those picks. Try and stop the run and try and get the picks, get the turnovers. And if I was UCD, I would be literally bringing everything to pressure Toy into either getting rid of the ball or trying to tuck the ball and run and then stop him on the run, if you know what I mean. I think taking away his ability to escape from the pocket would be huge. So if you take away the, the pass and then you can lock down him running away, that would be how I would approach it, from, from you, especially with, with UCD's D-line is very good. And as you said, Larry Doyle is, is exceptional. And I think if you can do that or if you can force him into some bad throws, then you can generate some picks. But I, I think sacks and pressure would be because it's UCD strengths that that's what I think would be a better option to try and go down that route from my perspective I would say given that it's Ireland August or not I actually think weather could play a role in which team wins the final if it's a perfect day I don't personally believe Ty Henry can be shut down through the air one of the things we were not going to say looking forward to, but one of the things we thought was going to happen last Sunday was it was supposed to pelt rain for the day. And we did, we built our game plan around short passes and, and some heavy running game. And uh, the weather was perfect. But if it is pelting down rain on August 7th and the wind is howling and Ty Henry can't throw the ball as often and they have to rely more on their running game, I can see UCD coming out on top there. If it's a good day, if it's a good football day, 
I think it'll be an open game, but I would see the Rebels coming out on top. And do you mind me asking again then, why is that? Because let's say with the Rebels, I mean, they have statistically the best running back in the league in Wello. Uh, and I'm wondering, is it more so just because UCD are a bit more dynamic in their backfield where they have, you know, the two running backs lining, lining up there in Sean V and Jack Finnegan? They have three. Do you know who the third one is? I don't. Must be for, for UCD, the third running back. Yeah, that would be Brandon Atwill, I'd imagine. Oh, you're going to get us in so much trouble. <laughs> so he's he's lining up there at running back as well. So are they lining up with three in the backfield or is it still a two type of thing? Still two. So they, but I mean, it, it, so back to kind of the original, the original question, which was the Rebels have like a fantastic running back in Wello. And I'm I'm wondering if it's more so that you're saying that if it's torrential it ends up, let's say, being a type of a mud bowl or even just unfavorable weather conditions, is it just because of the diversity or like the kind of dynamic flavor to the the UCD run game or or what is it that has you come to that conclusion? For me, when I was growing up, you used the run game to set up the passing game. Yeah. And, you know, you established the run and then you, you, you got guys cheating up and you, you took advantage of that. For the Rebels, it's almost the reverse of that. They use that passing game to set up the running game. And if the passing game isn't going, I don't think their running game will be as strong. That's why I'm saying if they have to rely more on the run and Wello's a great running back. I don't know if I heard rumors that he's carrying an injury. I don't know that that's, that's true or not. I genuinely don't know. He certainly didn't, particularly in the first game against us, he didn't have a fantastic day against us. You know, we could deal with that. It was, Again, it was it was the passing game that, that broke our back. Okay. Yeah. And then so almost moving moving away or to kind of ask the same question but the reverse and to to bring rather than focusing on the weaknesses and but now really kind of zoning in on the strengths. We've already mentioned Ty Henry, so I'm gonna take him off the board. It's too easy it's too easy to pick him, you know. It's one of those like if you're talking about elite players, he's one of the first people that comes to mind. But who are you expecting now is really gonna have a good day? coming into this bowl like who are you expecting to really really go off i'm gonna just really throw a spanner into that and i'm gonna say the rebels coaching staff are gonna have a good day their defensive line and back and linebackers are extremely well coached i mean they seem to find gaps in offensive lines that shouldn't be there we tried a lot of different things against them, but they seem to penetrate the offensive line on every play. And I put that down, not just to the athletes, but to their coaches. Not taking anything away from I only saw the UCD team once this year. I saw the Rebels twice. But the Rebels are an extremely well-coached team. So that's who I think are going to have a good day. Okay, yeah, I love that, actually. Alan, same question. Who are you expecting to have a great day? This uh, 7th of August. I think, uh, going back to what Kevin said about the weather, I think that is a big factor in it. I do think UCD's offensive line is probably the best offensive line in the country. And how they perform will determine how a lot of the game will go. Because I think if they can create space for the run game with the three running backs and then work, throw in some nice, short, handy passes to think they can over and keep possession, then I think, you know, you could grind it out there if it was wet. And you could just take up long drives, eat the clock, score off of that. Now you're putting the other team into pressure to try and maybe do things they don't want to do to stay in the game or whatever. So I think the weather, as Kev said, is, is a big part of it. But I, I do think the O-line from UCD will, will have a big bearing on how, how it goes. Yeah, OK. 
particularly in the second half of our first game against the Rebels, we were able to establish a very solid running game. They, I think, were, were setting up against the pass because we were obviously chasing the game at that stage. So we just wanted to do something that would work. So again, I go back to it. If it's a wet day, it comes down to the running game. UCD would have the edge. Okay. Who, smart football and turnovers is a big part of it as well. Obviously, whoever plays the, the smartest game in least mistakes, don't be getting involved in off-the-ball stuff. Don't be putting your team in a position where you've got a gain and next thing there's a penalty and you've gone back 15 yards because of something stupid. Being smart, knowing that you're in the final and you can't afford to do that type of thing and obviously not giving up turnovers is, is another huge thing, I think, that is going to take effect on it. We had a 60-yard kickoff return called back for a penalty and we had a 60-yard run called back for a penalty in the semifinal. Those are heartbreakers. Yeah. You're right. The team that makes the few mistakes will be the team that wins the game. Yes, and it's one of those things that, like, you can't reiterate that enough, really. Like, you know, and interesting now, because we have UCD that has never been at this stage before, and then we have, and of course, they have quite a lot of, of rookies as well, and then we have Rebels that have quite a lot of rookies too, you know. So it's one of those where I completely agree with you, you know, in every league, you have to play the refs as well as the team that you're playing against. I think the ref lineup that we have coming into the bowl is a fantastic lineup. You know, we've Steve Sager as Whitecap, and I think he's going to do an absolutely brilliant, a brilliant job there. Like all of the reports from all of the teams that I've spoken to really, really like him. Like, do you know what I mean? So him being a Whitecap, yeah. I think it's going to be fantastic, but it is, it is huge. It's such an important point that you've raised that, you know, you need to play the refs as well. You know, it's yes, sir, no, sir, all yeah, of that. And yeah. The other huge thing that affects playoff games and especially the bowl game is when you have all league crews stuff that teams maybe have been getting away with during the year with normal team TPOs that don't spot stuff or don't want to spot stuff that stuff gets called then in the bowl yes it, it does you proper you know not, not saying proper but you know you've league refs refing yeah. that stuff and I, I, you know the whole the stuff that you got away with maybe because guys on your sideline were not as experienced as they should be or whatever, that type of stuff tends to get called. And that can have a huge effect because if a team is used to doing something some way and getting away with it, and I'm not saying on purpose, no, but you, you know, every team has their own things that, that happen. And next thing, that stuff can start getting called. That can have an effect mentally on a team then as well, because now they're going, every time I do this, I get called first, but I wasn't all, all year. And it just comes down to, the refs are at a, a higher level in the ball. They're looking for more stuff as well. So that's another thing that, you know, maybe doesn't pop up as something you think of off the top of your head. Yes, just being smart and, and not getting involved in off the ball stuff. But as I said, stuff that you mightn't get called for during the season, but you do get called from the ball is a, yeah. a big thing as well, in my opinion. Yeah, of course. And I mean, like you're going from four and five man crews to seven and eight man crew in, in the ball. So it is a big step up. Yeah. So I think that that's, that's a really good point that we probably would have missed only for you said it. So, Rob, I think there's only like really one question left if you don't have another one. The question I really want to know, and I'm going to push you, I've done it on the last episode as well. I would push the, the two beaten semi-finalists. Who do you think is going to come away with a win? That's exactly the question I was thinking of. <laughs> well, yeah, Alan, we'll go with you first. Like, who are you thinking is coming away lifting this, this term? I'll throw in a scoreline as well. <laughs> I think weather dependent is, is a big factor I'm going with the Rebels because I think if it's a close game 
I think the Rebels have the experience of being in the ball. They've been the best team all year. I think they just might shade it, but I think it will be a close game. I could see something close to the, the previous game they played where it was a couple of points between them, maybe a 35-30, that type of thing. But I do think, you know, I think the Rebels will shade it. Okay, we have the Rebels from, from Alan. Kevin, what are you thinking? On a sunny day, I picked the Rebels 35-28. to 28. On a wet day, I picked the UCD 24-17. to 17. There we go. In straight in. You knew <laughs> you had that ready to go. Right. Is that us then, Rob? Do we think that that's everything? That's pretty much covered everything there today. Um, once again, like Faria, thank you so much for coming on the show and hopefully having you on again. Best of luck with the Admirals going forward. Looking forward to seeing the youth team in action again later on this year. Fantastic job getting that going. It's a great feeder system for like the rest of the league, like going forward throughout the years. You know, we've said it here before, Cork's been a QB factory. You know, you've got players now underage, ready to fill in left, right and centre. Long may it continue. Coach Clark, let's see how long this retirement lasts. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm backing you to be back in the league next year, but we'll see how that goes. By the way, let me say thanks to everybody for all the messages of support I've gotten since that was announced. And also congratulations to yourselves on your nomination for the National Award for the podcast. Well done to yeah, the two well of you. Done, and- you is, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, right we're- Joe is preparing for his own bowl uh, and he is like flat to the mat with it. And he's part of the communications team as well. And, you know, I'm doing my best not to be getting on to him about stuff. I just want to let him do it. I think because, you know, he's come up against the Vikings before. He got a concussion and they lost that game. The most recent one, the previous one, they won quite well. So he's taken it quite seriously and we're kind of just... uh, we're not putting too much pressure on them now. I think it's fair enough. And to be honest, like I love the Vikings. Like they're like my original club. That's who brought me into football. Like, do you know? But I just don't know if I can face Joe if he loses. <laughs> it's going to be such a tough, such a day, tough day at the office the next recording. So like as much as I love the Vikings, I have to back the Minotaurs going into the bowl this weekend. Like, do you know? I know players and coaches from all the six teams still in it. So I wish them all the to luck yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. they'll appreciate place, yeah. that they'll appreciate it. and then i mean rob is in his bowl as well but you know he's just not as committed to the team he's, he's you know he's media he's mad about media i've won bowls before i've been in the finals i've won them I, I i know how to do it i've got a couple of more years on joe once these things start to happen once or twice you get used to them you just take it as it comes go with the flow famous last words there so it is <laughs> I know and this this will actually be out after the bowl so you know Rob you could either look very good or very silly <laughs> but Kelly as we all know you can take that out in post-production <laughs> <laughs> right yeah. guys again thank you so so much it's been an absolute delight to have you on thank you very much 